0: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: The CONCACAF Nations League preview. Heath Pierce, Jimmy Condra, two former USMNT stars with me to discuss it all as the USMNT face Honduras. And Mexico face Costa Rica in the semifinals. Paramount Plus, CBS Sports has the entire tournament covered for you, and this is your preview. Diego Lasso begins right now. What's up, everybody? And welcome to Gigo Lasso, our CONCACAF Nations League preview. And we needed to bring all the big guns, everything, everything that I had in my arsenal. I just had to bring it and brought it. I did. Jimmy Conrad, what's up, brother? What's up, guys? Great to see you. And uh,
2: one of these things is not like the other. You guys are in Denver and I'm <laughs> at home, so I'm a little sad.
1: I know. We're going to get into it in a second. But Heath Pierce, how are you, man?
2: I'm doing good. When
3: anytime you call Jimmy and I the big guns, my day gets a little bit better. Uh, I mean, we get that all the time, but it never gets old, you know?
1: Absolutely. Well, I mean it. I mean it with every true sense of the phrase. And as Jimmy said, Jimmy, Heath and I miss you, man. We miss you so much, everybody. If you're watching on YouTube, And you think that I'm in some kind of a prison and I only have (laughs) one hour to do a show. That's not what's happening. It's true.
2: you actually be exactly right.
1: (laughs) And Heath looks like he's auditioning for uh, The Bachelor right now. But (laughs) we are in Denver. Heath and I are in Denver as we're going to be covering CONCACAF Nations League from the stadium live from the ground. Uh, And we're doing this from our hotel a lovely hotel. It just doesn't look that lovely because we had to close the uh, the curtains for the lights and stuff, but it's good though, right? We're having a good time. Heath. Right?
3: Hey, Luis, can I can I just point something out for people uh, that are watching this or listening to this? Today was the first day that I've seen you since Real Madrid came to New York a few years ago, right? Yeah. So we've been doing all of this in like sort of independently. Uh, so it was good to uh, finally see you in person after, after such a long time. I, I think, you know, this is my second trip in a week. And I hadn't traveled for, you know, since the pandemic started before that. And I don't know about you guys, but it's just good to see soccer people again and know that we're heading in the right direction.
1: A hundred percent, man. I hugged you for like 10 minutes. Uh, we made out a little, no, we didn't really, but don't tell the wives. Uh, uh, but Jimmy, I haven't even met him physically. Can you believe that everybody? It's just been a digital relationship. So I can't wait. Just wait until I see Jimmy fit. I'm going to jump on him. I can't you never wait. want to
3: meet your heroes. You never want to meet your heroes. <laughs> you know what I mean?
1: No, we're we're going to
2: swipe right on each other for sure, Luis. we <laughs> one of the same area. Don't worry.
1: Uh, but anyway, uh, that's for another episode, and I think it'll be a longer one. But <laughs> welcome, everybody, to our CONCACAF Nations League Final Four, our preview. And guess what? It's on Paramount+, Plus, CBS Sports. We have it all for you. Pre-game, post-game, the games themselves. We've got everything, and this episode is going to break it all down. And of course, I need it. I need it. Two people that know exactly what it is like to play for the USMNT and know the kind of competition that these guys will be facing. Just as you know, the semifinals are on Thursday, kicking off with the USMNT against Honduras. And the second game, Mexico, El Tri, against Costa Rica. Two great games. Plenty of coverage all around. Heath Pierce, Jimmy Connard on Twitter. You can follow them as well. But, Jimmy, let's begin with you. Before we get into the games themselves... Mm -hmm. This is pretty cool. Final four, the top four teams of the region. I think it's and the fact that, that Denver's hosting it, I think it's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, it is cool. I think uh, to Heath's point about seeing soccer people again, we're finally seeing nations that we like to see play against each other, play against each other in a location that uh, has shown us some good games in the past and and to have some fans go out there and and to really start to put uh, some gravitas around these these games. And obviously this is the first iteration of the CONCACAF Nations League. So for all four of these nations to be the first to win the first ever tournament, I think was really important for all four. And maybe I'm a little biased here, but specifically for Greg Berhalter, the manager of the U.S. to win his first ever trophy. And I know he can replicate that with the Gold Cup. That's where a lot of our managers win their trophies. But that said, I mean, this is an opportunity to to get it after it and have a meaningful game. I mean, we're very close to World Cup qualifiers. Things are going to start to get real serious. And so this is a great opportunity for us to see what our team's all about under some pressure.
1: Absolutely. And Jimmy's going to be part of the coverage analysis as well as part of our HQ show and everything. So make sure that you tune in for that. And Heath, how do you feel about it, man? I mean, we're going to be covering right from the stadium as well. Are you getting those goosebumps? I mean, it's pretty Like Jimmy said, it's great that the country itself is hosting something and not just something, but like Jimmy said, Greg Berhalter really his first true meaningful competition since the pandemic, of course.
3: Yeah, I, I, you know, you and I obviously got to head out to the stadium later to do our our daily health screenings. um, And I think that will start to bring it to life. Uh, I had a chance to run into... Clint Dempsey and Charlie Davies in the, in the lobby of the hotel today. And that sort of got the juices flowing of just the days that were, they're obviously going to be on the Paramount plus broadcast team, um, you know, at the desk and all of that started to to, to bring it to life. And especially when I think about Honduras, there's been Honduras, I would say is probably the, 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 the team that I played against the most in CONCACAF. So I've got this, you know, just sort of fond memories also going down to San Pedro Sula uh, and the last qualifying campaign as, as a fan, doing some 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 broadcast work as well. It just sort of is all all coming back to life uh, for me again, and, the, and 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 I'm getting the vibe. But also, you know, as Jimmy mentioned, this is a huge opportunity now for Greg Brohalter. We've looked at a lot of their friendlies, and we've always taken everything with a just a a, a grain of sand or a grain of salt, however the phrase or expression goes, because you know, it's like a B team versus a a, a B plus team or, or a D team versus a B team or an A minus. And it's just like this constant tinkering because of the pandemic of who we have in the team. And then we go and we batter a team who's having to play in Europe that don't have any players playing in Europe. And it's just been such a hard thing to to judge and really measure ourselves, right? We saw now against Switzerland, a Switzerland team that has, you know, eight plus players playing in the Bundesliga and you have Mbolo and Sefrovic. They're playing against top players and I think that was a good test. And now we want to see how they respond to that as a group and as a team. Obviously still missing Tyler Adams with injury, I, I, I suspect, but the best team that we've seen so far. Just an exciting time to get this group together and play for something. Uh, and now is the hard, hard part, right? You, uh, we, we've listened to Greg's... Um, proprietary system being built over the last uh, couple of years, and now it has to come to fruition in the form of results, right? You only get so many games to build, and in a pandemic, you sort of just have to kind of run with it. And now you really get tested. Do you actually stick to what you're trying to build? Is this part of the building blocks? Or is this about winning? Is this about winning the, the, the first version of the CONCACAF Nations League? And I think it has to be about winning uh, for the fans. It has to be winning about for the players to set the next the, the tone for the new generation. So I know I'm going on a little bit of a, of a tangent here, but just really excited to see this group uh, get tested in a way where every uh, moment of the game has a consequence. Every play or lack there of making a play has a consequence. So... It's the first time we're going to get we're going to get a chance to see the players under pressure for the national team take what they've done in a club and play against a team that that has a, a, quite a bit of an international experience and 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 really test themselves.
1: Jimmy, what does it feel like to play like uh, nations uh, regional nations of course Mexico a, a country you know very well. Uh you know, uh, we all know that goal, we all know that gift, we all know those memories. What how, what does it feel like to play these nations that obviously they it means a lot like Heath said from a competition perspective, but obviously Nations League, World Cup qualifiers, (laughs) teams that we know very well. uh, What does it feel like?
2: I would say that the perception has changed around the U.S. men's national team, given the talent we have at our disposal now that we have players winning Champions League trophies. If you lose to the U.S., I don't think it's as embarrassing maybe for, for the players. But back when I was in the pool even if it was Honduras or El Salvador or Jamaica you don't want to lose to the United States at a uh, again in, in a sport that you know when i put up the air quotes here that that you know is maybe the fifth most popular sport in the country and this is their most popular sport in their respective countries that's changed quite a bit obviously but um, there was still that stigma attached to it and and obviously the smaller countries there's a lot of history there off the field history that that uh, about the us's uh, I don't want to get too far into the politics, but there's, there's a history there of of kind of understanding us's involvement in certain different ways. And I think that gets passed along to traditions and through families and and they don't want to lose to us, you know? And so you get a different, I think a different vibe from the smaller countries in particular, the ones that we should beat. So there's kind of a couple layers here. You have these smaller countries that really want to prove to themselves one that, that, that uh, they're just as good as you are because it's their number one sport or whatever. They don't want to lose to you. And, and then you you have this other one where, from our perspective, we seem to, at least in the past, play to the level of our competition. And that needs to change. And that's where the shift has started to happen, where now we've seen under Greg Berhalter, when we play the smaller countries, we're not just Barely eking by, getting a one-zero, two-one result, and it was very squeaky bum time for the last 15 minutes. Now we're stomping on throats, four or 0 And that's the way it should be. That's the type of talent we have at our disposal. And it's nice to see us kind of get away from that. That said, this is those were friendlies. This is a this is a game with something on it. This matters. And so I'm curious. I'm sure, like the rest of us that are listening and, and talking in the discussion, we want to see how these players respond. So it's going to be really interesting now that there is a little bit of juice on this how these players are going to perform. Now, this is a Honduras team. I know it's not the same team, but their U23s beat us in the semifinals so that they qualified for the Olympics and we didn't. So it's not like they're coming in and they're just, you know, some, some chump of a team. And even though they have a 38 year old captain in, in Figueroa and a whole bunch of older guys that are kind of doing, it, they've only played four matches since the beginning of 2020. So they're going to be a little rusty. You think that said, that makes me a little bit nervous because maybe we'll, be a little bit too overconfident and maybe already be looking at the final and hopefully against Mexico. So there are a lot of things to unpack here that are kind of outside of the performance that could influence how we do perform.
1: Yeah. And let's not forget everybody. When you think about the seating of this tournament, Honduras is above the USMNT. So it's not like, you know, we are talking about a situation where, you know, like you said, it's, it's, you know, back in the day, this is a little bit different and this is a transitional USMNT that's looking still to, to make some things happen. All right, so let's let's get into the games here. All right, so let's obviously talk about the USMNT against Honduras. Jimmy, you talked about it. Obviously, I I asked Reggie Cannon this, does it feel like a little bit of a redemption as well, just because, you know, what the under-23s, Honduras, Honduran side did against the US? He says, well, you obviously that comes into it because it's a narrative, it's part of the narrative, but it's about making sure that no matter what, you get this win. Heath... Talk to me about this, Gay. Okay, USM again. USMT against uh, Honduras. How, how do you see it?
3: Yeah, I think Reggie's got a point there, but let's not forget that against Switzerland, eight of the ten field players were Olympic eligible. So I think there's a failure in that Olympic qualifying campaign that shouldn't be overlooked because I think that team should qualify. Um, but our best players are are far beyond uh, being available for Olympic qualifying. But the one thing I would take out of that game that you have to take into this game is that Honduras competed in that game. And the one thread uh, or connective tissue that you've had in the history of U.S. soccer on the men's side and on the women's side because they dominate, but mostly on the men's side because we are not the same as the women in terms of their quality compared to the rest of the world, was competing. There is a roll up your sleeves mentality of, I don't care if it's pretty. You know, and I think we're caught in this glorious era right now of look at all the players playing at teams and not just good teams, but teams that play attractive football. Juventus, Barcelona, uh, Borussia Dortmund, Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea's not that, that beautiful of football, but like you get the point. <laughs> and, and that's no shot out the Chelsea fans. They're, they're an incredible club. But the point being that the minimum viable product you have to put out is compete and fight because it's going it could get ugly it could get scrappy and i think again if you can if you can take this talented pool and apply that to every single game and know that at a minimum we're going to win because we're going to be disciplined and we're going to out compete them then i think that's a good recipe for success again when i go back to what i was saying in in the very beginning This is a project, right? This is a long-term project. We are in the decade of soccer. We're seeing the growth of this. This is even the best pool. We have players coming up in the system now that are even better than this group. However, this is a project that has to come to fruition this week. Uh, in a lot of ways, and sometimes you put that project to the side and you say, "Hey, let's go out there and and we we get to the finals, and then we do apply the same thing to to win a trophy, to win something significant in this region is more important than the project." I think at this point, because for the fans who are expecting it, for the players who need to build on that confidence, to rebuild that that uh, that morale within U.S. soccer, it starts against Honduras. And Honduras, by the way, is a team that. As Jimmy said, Maynard Figueroa, they have a ton of experience and we're seeing a shifting of the times, whereas Major League Soccer's mechanism was built at a certain point to service mostly CONCACAF nations and the growth and development of those players in those nations. Now we're seeing a lot of that going to Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, uh, those mechanisms within Major League Soccer. So those players are now spending more of their time back in Honduras and playing domestically than they were playing in Major League Soccer, which I think is a a superior league. So there is just the changing of the guard there that a lot of these young players are going to have to step up. But again, the one thing you're going to get against any CONCACAF region playing against the U.S. is they're going to come out, and this is no disrespect to them, come out like it is a final every single time because they want to knock you off that what they see as arrogance they want to knock you off this 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 perch of of being one of the 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 few that have been dominant in CONCACAF and they want to they want to ruin your day and they're going to do everything they can and they will take every measure necessary to disrupt the game the flow of the game to get the ref involved to get the crowd involved they will do anything they can to create that advantage and i think you're going to that's what the us should expect and in the us team by the way that doesn't have a ton of experience in CONCACAF. When you go back to San Pedro Sula in the last qualifying campaign, Kellen Acosta, Tim Ream, Christian Pulisic were the only ones that were in that game, and that was in in, in qualifying. So it's a, it's a new squad that has a ton of playing experience at the highest level, but CONCACAF experience is something different.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, and listen, it got ugly in the under 23 game as well. So it's there's already proof in the pudding. And by the way, don't take anything away from this trio from Honduras. Choco Lozano, who plays in La Liga, et cetera. This is going to be a team that's going to test. All right, Jimmy, I want to ask you right now what are <laughs> we expecting from this squad? What are the latest updates on this USMNT squad? What can we expect, do you think, as they face Honduras? Christian Pulisic, he's just finished the Champions League final. You know, will he be ready? Uh, oh, 100%. What, what's he's, he's the latest?
2: Good. Yeah, I think Christian Pulisic will start for sure. Zach Steffen will start in goal. I think you have to have your best players really not only be a part of the field, not because you feel like you need them. I think even without those two, we should be able to beat Honduras. It's more about letting them kind of set the precedent and the tone for how this is going to go and let them be leaders. And I think if they didn't start, you take away that leadership opportunity from them who you know you're going to rely on in a lot of high-pressure situations. So I would start there. I think those guys have to play. Tyler Adams has got a big loss for us when he's not on the field, I don't know if we have anybody who is as accomplished or as really defines the role at the number six in the CDM spot in front of that back four, as well as he does. Kellen Acosta can do it at times. We have other players that can sit in there. McKinney can do, can do it. We have a lot of guys that can do it, but are they best suited for that position? I think Tyler Adams is definitely our number one. So if he starts, obviously that bodes well for us and then our back four, Do we go with a back four? Do we go with a three, five, two? I think what we learned against Switzerland is that Sergino Dest doesn't really like to defend all that much. It's not where his instincts are. Yeah, he had had a bad game. (laughs) It's just, it's just more, it's just, sometimes he's just too casual defensively. And, and maybe that's just because he's so gifted in so many different ways that he he can be casual and has been casual for many years. But when you see, and, and I, that sounds negative. I mean, he does the work but there's still like an element of, and, and Heath can speak to this as well. There's certain parts of the game that that excite you about playing. And you can sense with every single player what excites them. And I don't think defending really excites Sergio Dest. I think he likes to get the ball. I think he likes to go forward with it. I think he likes to break down teams, uh, creating numerical advantages and, and one-twos and all the other special things that he's very, very good at. I want to put him and all of our players in their best positions to succeed. And I don't think Serginho Dest on the left really helps us balance too much. We need an answer at left back. I think that you have Miles Robinson in, or excuse me, Anthony Robinson in, in the team. You should play him and then put Dest on the right side. And then you have to have two center backs. I don't really, this is me being kind of overly critical, I'd say, of the center back. So I'll raise my hand and accept that. I don't think we have any lockdown guys that can partner with John Anthony Brooks yet. Mark McKenzie for me, I thought he did pretty well all things considered against Switzerland in his first real run out and a nice, good partnership against a good opponent. And I would like to see him get more minutes. So I would start McKenzie and, and John Anthony Brooks right now. And I wouldn't go to a three center back thing. That's what makes me nervous. So I don't know exactly what the formation is going to be. And then we all obviously have questions of who our number nine is going to be. Is it Josh Sargent? You give him more minutes or do we already know what he's about and we need to give it to Sabachu or I don't know if Daryl Dike is on it. You guys can correct me on there, but I would want to look at those two guys in particular to see how they fit in with Pulisic and Gio Reyna and whoever else is playing underneath. So, yeah, there's a lot of questions here. And, and one of the things that I talked to you about Greg with, with Greg Berhalter when he came on uh, HQ once, at what point do you say this is my starting eleven? At what point do you say, this is how I want us to play, and these are the best guys to do it, and actually give them a few games to work together in high-pressure situations? Because if you keep changing the lineup every single game, you just can't build that consistency and rapport that I think you need to be successful at the highest levels.
1: Yeah, I think the, it's now. Like, you need to know your lineup right now. I mean, there's injuries, obviously absentees, but, you know, I think it's now. You mentioned Josh Sargent. We know what he can do. Well, do it now, I mm-hmm. think. you know. Yeah. And DK, by the way, is not... Part of it. Um Heath, thoughts on the squad on the lineup?
3: Yeah, I think Jimmy's pretty spot on with a lot of the back line um and 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 sort of the back eight. I think you know, one of the things Greg said is that we still don't know what Gio Reyna's best position is yet, right? So I don't know if that's a hint at the fact that he could move inside if you were to take uh Legette out. The, the problem is Legette's the most experienced player within this team. You need some of that experience in terms of playing in this national team over the last months, but there's an opportunity to move him. You, like the, this is the issue with youth, right? And I remember listening to Steven Chirundolo on a, on a Bundesliga broadcast um, a couple months ago and it was Dortmund was struggling in the game and he, he went on to say, this is the problem with young teams and young players is that you're going to have this inconsistency. And I remember thinking about that. We're all so hyped on young players now. The world is about young players. Now we often overlook the fact that if you had Reyna, uh, Eunice Musa. Uh, Josh Sargent, uh, take Christian Pulisic out of there, but even McKinney or Adams or, or you know, a number of these players now, Jackson Yule and and then Mark McKenzie and Serginio Dest. You're talking about a lot of young guys that you need to all have good matches on the same day to get results in games of consequence. And that's a lot to ask for. So you need to rely on that experience. And I think with regard to to Josh Sargent, as Jimmy mentioned, the main thing that that, that I remember from qualifying campaigns of the past, and obviously this is not a qualifier, but it is... Uh, heading towards something of significance, which would be a final and potentially a trophy is predictability from your players, right? Maybe Josh Sargent isn't the goal scorer that you need him to be, but he's becoming more predictable of what he could be. Right. Brian Ching wasn't a, a, a bonafide goal scorer, Jimmy, or Brian McBride, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not necessarily, but what you got out of those guys, Connor Casey, these types of guys that are a little bit more towards a uh, not Brian McBride, but I would say, you know, for Connor Casey or, or uh, Brian Ching, a target up top, you know, predictable in their movements, understanding their role defensively. Those are the types of things that Mm -hmm. make it. So when you have all that magic around you, and we have more magic around Josh Sargent than we've ever had in the national team, it at least means you know what you're going to get from him as opposed to strikers, a traditional striker, which is more streaky. If he's hot, he's good. If he's not, he's useless. And I think that, I think Civichu still looks like a little bit of a step off of the pace at the international game, at least from his short sample size. Um... But but other than that, it's just a matter of like, where do you put Reina? Does he play inside? Does he play out on the wing? Where do you put Dest? Or, you know, do you build the, the the system around him to have more, more uh, cover when he goes forward? Because you saw him, he, he beat two players in the Switzerland game and should have had a goal when he's alone with the goalkeeper and should have finished that off or found somebody that could have. Like that's an X factor. Very few teams in the world have a player at that quality that come out of deep lying positions to be able to create those moments. But with that comes a price. So you need to now have this, this, and believe me, this is the first time we're having these kinds of conversations in the history of the national team where you have all these dynamic players where you're going like, is he so good as an attacking fullback that you can't play him in a four back line? Um, That's a good problem to have. But these are all the things that that Greg Perhalter is going to have to work through over time, especially as you head towards World Cup qualifying and things like that. Like, is he a guy that you play in a wide open game or is he a guy that you go to get a result with? Or is he somebody that you have to sort of pick and choose when are the right matches and matchups for him? That's no disrespect to him. He plays at Barcelona. He's a fantastic player. But when you're building a squad that's built to get results in games of high consequence, those are the questions you have to ask.
2: So I'm curious with regard to the Gio Reyna comment from Berhalter actually makes me quite nervous because if he doesn't know his best position and Gio Reyna can't really explain what his best position is, and I'm sure they've probably had conversations about where he wants to set up shop and get the ball and run at the back four, for the opposing team and so on and so forth, that that's a bit of a concern for me because then how does he fit into the bigger landscape? To your point, with we have these two shining stars that are undeniable. We have Sergio Des that's bombing from behind and does very well to all the things that you said. And and we should build around our system around him in some capacity. And then you have Christian Pulisic. They play on opposite sides of the field. And I think if they played on the same, that would almost be too one-sided. I almost want Dest on the right and Pulisic on the left, cutting in on the right side. So then it really becomes important who that middle three is. So if you have Tyler Adams that's sitting in front of the back four and Dest bombs four, and he can slide out into that kind of right back position to cover for Dest, I'm okay with that. But the problem is then who slides in, who's off his left shoulder. If that's Weston McKinney, who I love as well, I think his unpredictability in some ways and his 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 risk-taking is amazing. I love that guy. Even if he makes a bad pass, he doesn't put his head down. He's like, I'm going to do it again because I know at some point it's going to work out. There's a lot I love about Weston McKinney, but it's his courageousness that I think I love the most. And then what about Musa? Like who else, maybe, or LeJet, like who else is going to sit there when Tyler Adams gets pulled out of that spot? And he will because good teams are going to absolutely crush us for that. And and we'll try to exploit that as they did against Sergino Dest. I thought Switzerland made some changes at halftime. They're like, hey, listen, when Dest bomb forward, then that'll allow Brooks to get pulled out of that position, and now we can isolate two guys that maybe aren't as quick as some of the other players on the U.S. team. So so when that those tactical changes happen, and then teams identify what we're giving up because we're trying to have success in other areas, we just need to have the players that have not only the the, the awareness to understand what's happening, but to be able to make those decisions quickly and to just do the work. Ultimately, there's a lot of players. That, that maybe it's either there's two things. Either they, they have the recognition or they don't have the recognition or they they see it but don't do the work that's necessary, aren't fit enough to do the work or whatever it may be. So there's a lot to unpack here, LME. I think we could talk for days about the nuances and subtleties about how to get the most out of this team. But I will say, or I'll, I'll put the button on this with where I started, Gio Reyna not knowing where his best spot is and Berhalter not knowing how to utilize him is a problem for us moving forward because it Aww, would be nice. He's a
3: teenager.
2: Let's he is. Go. I understand that. I understand that. But no, just, I
1: think Jimmy means more the point of Greg Berhalter's problem as opposed yeah, yeah, to yeah, yeah. But, but, right? but, but but
3: Yeah. Because if you look at Gio Reina as a player now, everything you just mentioned, Jimmy, about him uh going at players, all those things, when he's at his best, he's connected to the strikers. Mm-hmm, he's mm-hmm. he's in a in 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 the half spaces more inside. Okay. Whenever Dortmund put him way out on the touchline, he struggles. And Therefore, you say, well, then why wouldn't you just play him underneath the strikers as one of the midfielders that can connect with the strikers and connect with Pulisic a little bit more in combination play? He's at his best when he's connecting with Holland. When Holland are spinning Mm -hmm. off of each other and he's setting those things up, that's when he's at his best or with Sancho. But when he's not connected to that, he's a little bit more isolated, um, wider, and he's more of a combination play type of player. And then with regard to Tyler Adams, same thing. He's playing right back at at Leipzig, but he was in a hybrid role where sometimes he would be in the midfield and he would come inside into weird spaces. And so, you know, one of the things you touched on there, Jimmy, which I think is really important is IQ, player IQ, you know, Mm -hmm. tactical IQ of understanding when and where you need to be. You know, so often they say, okay, well, if you overlap that guy and he covers for you and that doesn't always happen, you know, Mm -hmm. and sometimes you have just players that step into your position and then they don't do the role of that position. They just do it because it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. So that awareness of knowing if Dest is going to bomb forward, where does Tyler Adams as a six six, sit deeper and slide Mm -hmm. in and then Musa has to pull back or Legette pulls back or whatever it is. Those are the types of movements of understanding that one, you can coach that all you want on the field, but also, uh, which I think is important tactically, but also the player's understanding moments of vulnerability to kill the game off,
2: Mm -hmm. drop,
3: drop, sit, sit deeper, cover those types of things.
1: I will say this, just before you carry on, I will say this. There is a tendency for, as an outsider, right? for Greg Berhalter uh, at the very least right now is to your point about Serginio Dest earlier, which is sometimes you just, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Sometimes you just got to put the best players where they're best suited. And and you do, it, the, the moment you begin to overthink is the moment you begin to overcomplicate. And especially when you're a young team, that's the last thing that you want to do. It's the absolute last thing that you do. And now you're about to face, hopefully, hopefully, face a Mexican team who already know we're going to talk about it in a second. Who knows their identity on the Tata Martino granted it's, it's a, an older uh, mix with youth, but still the point remains. Don't overcomplicate things, Greg, you know, just, you know, understand the best players better, better suited for their roles. And hopefully that will happen. I mean, Giorena, we know what he can do now. Does that fit the system? Well, sometimes you just have to try and trust the gut of the talent of the player. And by the way, uh, he's not going to be available for the gold cup, right? Because Borussia Dortmund won him early. That's right. Preseason. So the time is now to figure it out right now uh, to the point of Josh Sargent. Um, well, what I was
2: going to say was that. Yeah. Go actually ahead. Like, like Heath's point about being, bringing Gio Reyna closer to, to Josh Sargent, whoever plays the number nine. It's a good and idea. Then, and then really allowing Sergio desk to be our width. Yeah. And, both and, push. Right. Cause I remember we played a game. Oh man. I can't remember who it was against. Maybe it was Northern Ireland. Maybe it was the game before that, but Giorena had been kind of setting up shop and you could feel that he was in some ways, maybe a little bit uncomfortable out wide, but also the outside back was just continuing to run into him. There really wasn't even space for him to overlap. And I don't remember if it was Dest or somebody else, but, but it just, it felt a bit stifled. And I think to, to his point, which is smart, is if Reno can just be a little bit tucked in, and almost be off the shoulder, somewhat Timo Werner-esque when Kai Havertz starts up top for, for Chelsea, and then really allow Destis to get up and down and then try to create those numerical advantages when he needs it uh, and other people to combine with. And Gio is very, very good at combining. He's got great vision and great feet, so he would be a, very helpful in that. And then you'd have that triangle in midfield for us where if I, Adam, Tyler Adams does go out, then McKinney maybe, you know, everybody's got to circulate and help cover and make sure we have proper balance so that we can can really negate any counterattacks that are potentially coming our way and that's going to be really important as well. So yeah, there's there's a there's a lot to unpack here. I I I'll get ahead of it with predictions. I think we will beat Honduras. I just hope we're not looking too far ahead. I want to make sure that we are doing all the little things that are necessary because that those disciplines and habits will definitely carry over when we're playing against the bigger teams like Mexico.
1: Yeah. Reggie Cannon said the same thing. Let's not get too care. Let's just focus on the next step and then step by step. By, by the way, a little bit on Honduras before I get Heath's prediction on the score, you know, the Catrachos, uh, you know, that they're, they're, you mentioned Figueroa, you know, also Garcia as well, both a Houston Dynamo duo. They're very experienced. They don't mind getting dirty. They don't mind getting physical, but they're also very talented. I I mentioned Joko Lozano, you know, plays in Cadiz in La Liga who, you know, he plays in one of the best leagues in the world. He's not going to have any problems going up against the back line of the USMNT. There's also a tremendous amount of players from Olympia, right? The best team in Honduras as well. So, you know, they're very good. And Albert Ellis, by the way, and Jorge Benguche, they know Reggie Cannon, and obviously they're all teammates of Boavista. So, like you know, there's there's a lot of familiarity here as well. So I just I think the key thing is the USMNT have to be wary of 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 things maybe not going their way in terms of flow and just being able yeah. to adapt in game time. Heath, give me your final thoughts yeah. on, uh, and score prediction before we take a break.
3: Yeah, I think the US wins uh, two nil in this game, um, or or at least comfortably. I think again the main vulnerability is is if you're Honduras you're you, and you have. Uh, Albert Elizanje and, and Beguchi, both both attacking minded players, and you know that hey, if Serginho Des is on the field, then I know that there's a part of the field that's going to be exposed. If you watched uh, Breland Bolo go after go after the back line in the start of that second half, obviously things changed in the, in the Switzerland game where when when they, a lot of the subs came in, as we see in a lot of international friendlies, uh, the flow changes. But just that vulnerability to attack with speed when they're when yeah. they're exposed, I think is 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 something that they're going to be focusing on. I do think the US can and will control possession and and look as the prettier side uh, within this within the context of this game, but that doesn't mean that they're, they're, you know Honduras isn't prepping for the few moments in which they can punish the U.S.
1: Yeah, especially yeah, definitely from a counter attacking perspective, one hundred percent. Final thoughts on these games, uh, Jimmy, before we take a break here.
2: No, I could see it being kind of via Real, Manchester United Europa yeah. League final, where United are clearly the better team you know, on paper, they have more talent, quote-unquote talent, but via Villarreal know who they are. They have their identity. They know they're only going to get a few opportunities and they have to make them count. We, we see that time and again against the smaller nations as we've continued to get better. And, and uh, sometimes they do make those count and then it becomes very difficult. So it'd be interesting to see what we end up doing. But to Heath's point and the underlying message there is we got to get out and we got to set the tone. We can't let Honduras kind of dictate how the flow and the tone of this game is going to go. That has to be up to us. We have to establish the rhythm. We have to high press, make them make some mistakes, and then hopefully we don't get countered or they get one goal on a set piece like Villarreal did in the first half i think 2-0 is something i'd be very happy with i could see maybe honduras getting one maybe late so i could see a 2-1 but but ultimately i think we're going to book our ticket to the final and hopefully mexico's waiting for us
1: yeah well listen everybody usmnt fans the time is now make it happen right now i'm going 3-1 usmnt i think honduras will get a goal but this is it no more excuses you're at home You got confidence. So many players are coming in from Europe winning things or achieving things. You have a Champions League winner, for Christ's sake. All right? So make it happen. All right? USMNT 3, Honduras 1. I'm going to get banned from my Honduran restaurant in New York City. (laughs) Whatever. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, all this talk makes me want to talk about El Tri, which, by the way, remains the CONCACAF king until somebody says otherwise. So we'll be talking right back as Mexico face Costa Rica. We'll be right back.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
4: Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's Lifetime Membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash rs10 today.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Kigo golazo Conquer Nations League preview. We've talked USMNT against Honduras, and now we talk about Tata Martinos, Mexico against Costa Rica, Hector Moreno, one of the most respected, most, uh, you know, I don't know, more than a hundred appearances for Mexico, a tremendous uh, resume. He talked to Kebo He said so many great things about the USMNT, but they're ready, man. Even without Raul Jimenez, they're ready against Costa Rica. Uh, Jimmy, talk to me about the Mexican team.
2: I just want to give a shout out to Tata Martino, obviously did some tremendous work with Atlanta United in a very short period of time. He leaves there, and obviously there's a great story on The Athletic. You can learn a little bit more about the the behind-the-scenes that's happening there. Very, very uh, interesting story written there about his time. But when he took over Mexico, he came in, obviously had some fanfare, not only with the success with Atlanta, but uh, managing Barcelona, and Argentina national team. And you go into the – I mean, it it is hot. That's a hot seat to be the manager of the Mexican national team. There's a lot of pressure on you. And he has managed 25 games for Mexico, 22 are wins. Two were draws, one loss. And that was I a one loss to Wales, actually. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah.
1: Outside of that. Well, no, I'm thinking Juan Carlos Osorio, my fault. Yeah.
2: yeah, no, no. But outside of that, that is a crazy-ass record. So fair play to it's Tata insane. Martino. And for him to really work with this group of players that, like any national team, is kind of this convergence of, of young and old and how to manage the guys that are kind of maybe aging out of the squad and bringing the ones that are younger, but are they ready yet? And so I really like what he's done, and, and he surprisingly left Chicharito off of this roster, even though Chicharito leads MLS in goal scoring, and he's handled the Carlos Vela situation with with class, I think, and with respect. So I really like the vibe that Tata Martino has, and, and I think that the team still has made remained true to their identity of being able to possess and play out of any situation. They've got their high-pressing game uh, pretty much on point. And uh, I just don't really see too many weaknesses. I mean, we can try to break down the team, but uh, Chucky Lozano, the Napoli striker, he has scored their last three goals. He came on as a sub against Iceland in this most recent friendly, and he came on the 63rd minute, and by the 75th minute, he had scored two goals. So, And that's without Raul Jimenez, as you said. If they had him, that just makes them even more dynamic, because if you had Jimenez up high and Lozano off of his shoulder, they really become this really special tandem. But that said, they still have a lot of talented guys all around the fields, and and they can hurt you. They're really well balanced. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be tough. I mean, even for the Ticos, it's going to be tough. And then whoever they play in the final, it's going to be a tough task as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Costa Rica, very experienced team. We still have Brian Ruiz there, Brian Olliel as well. This is a team that know, you know, the, the World Cup experience. They have a lot of talent in Europe as well. But this Mexican side is it's just right. ridiculous. You got Tecatito on one side. You got Chucky on the other one. Miguel Layún still there. Hector Herrera with Atletico Madrid. The question mark is going to be, they don't have as many natural center forwards in this tournament. Raul Jimenez is out. You got Alan Pulido of course and uh Henry Marin which is they 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 create, Henry Martin they create different kind of uh options. But Chucky could be fit in right there so I don't think there's much of a problem. he talked to me about Mexico who remains obviously, you know, the dominant force in this region. So, you know, we're all hoping for this Mexico USMNT final, but first Mexico has to take care of Costa Rica. Yeah,
3: I think to go back to Tata Martino, I think anytime a manager comes in and there's a generational shift right from the well-established national team players to bringing in, you know, your your newer, your younger players working in more players within the squad, there's a a risk and it requires a certain nuance, not just because you're bringing in new players, but a new set of player mentalities, right? We we've saw that with, we talked about with the U.S. failing in 2018 the next generation of what the needs are of the players, where they come from, the diversity of the group. Uh, that, that's a huge challenge. So so good on him for, for having an almost perfect record, which is ridiculous, um, especially in the hot seat of, of Mexico. Because Mexico is one loss and they go, is he the right one? Um, but for this team itself, again, no Diego Linez La- uh, either. Um, with Looks no beefed route. up,
1: man. Looks beefed up. He, he yeah. like, gained a lot of like, muscle. Uh, I think he's ready to uh, look him at me asking one more time.
2: <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> you, you know, that would have been it would have been would have been nice to see him. Would have been nice to see Raul Jimenez fully fit and ready for this, but wasn't cleared by Wolves, obviously. Yeah. Um, but but again, uh, the thing about Mexico and if you look at Mexico, uh, since we brought up the, the U23 Olympic qualifying, if you look at the way Mexico is and the way that they're built, Uh, And you talk about uh, Chucky Lozano against, against Iceland. They have players that can create magic. They always have, and they always will. They, there is a confidence within that team that even if they're not playing well, and they generally do play better than most teams in terms of style of play possession, you know, their, their confidence in building out of of tough positions, pressing to win the ball in tough areas, making it very difficult for opponents in their style of play. Um, But they have X factors. They have guys that even on a bad day, Can do something, and and again, I think we're at that point with the U.S., where you have, or at least we should be expecting, a Pulisic or McKinney or Reyna to be able to come up with a bit of magic when all we're doing is bunkered in and we're fighting for our lives to be able to say, "Hey, I'm going to put the team on my shoulders. I'm going to do that." Mexico has always been able to do that, and especially in Concacaf, is even if they're not at their best, with say, again, like I said, they typically they typically are the dominant team in most matches. They come up with results. And it's funny that we use uh, experience now as this as this word that I feel has at least shifted meaning to me. Previously, we would have looked at Costa Rica and said, they're old, Honduras, they're old. Let's beat them, no problem, right? Because we had this mentality, we had a mix of experience, mentality, youth, and all these things that you knew that if you could just turn that key enough, you were gonna unlock that team and beat them or you're gonna you know outwork them in a way. Whereas now we have this young team with so much, Um, unguarded talent in it, but we don't know what to expect. So when we look at all these older teams, we, we turn that word of old into experience, uh, and this team should be able to, Mexico team should be able to handle uh, experience or age of, of of Costa Rica. Now, the U.S. being able to do that against Honduras is completely different. We know, on again, on paper means nothing in these matches. Uh, but, but, you know, previously, I think we would have looked at, we would have had enough experience on the field in every historical national team, right? We're talking about a team that's 80, 90% under 23 years old. That's pretty young in national team standards, even with the new world of like players being younger. So, it's just funny to hear experience uh, being 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 a strength at the international level when usually it's like, oh yeah, your typical international player gets to thirty and then he's too old to play in the national team anymore because the game's too fast, right? Whereas we're now kind of a little more guarded with regard to the U.S. and the region when we talk about other 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 countries uh, because. We still have a lot of unproven talent at the international level, but not to shift away from the Mexico- It's uh, because
2: we're old. That's why we look at it as experience.
3: (laughs) No, but but it used to be where like, you would age out of the national team, right? Because the the speed of the game, the demands of the game are completely different. You wouldn't say Brian Ruiz in the national team is a good thing anymore. I think you it's it, about balance.
1: That. I think balance is the key word because you do, like, I want Andres Guardado, but I also want Chucky Lozano. Like, I want Christian Pulisic, but I would also, I want John Brooks to make sure that we, you know, you need that balance.
3: But Luis, this is my point, is that every national team usually has that transition. Costa Rica is going through that transition. Honduras is going through that transition. The U.S. just cleaned house. And now we just oh, got yeah, a it's bunch totally of young totally different players. with the U.S. Yeah, we yeah. don't, like, John Brooks, that's, that's one, you know? But again, you go back to, to Honduras three years ago and you have uh, Kellen Acosta, who hasn't been in the national team really since that that cycle until recently. Uh, Christian Pulisic, who had the world on his shoulders and had to carry the team uh, during that period. And then and then Tim Ream, who was on the bench. So it, it's it's a completely new generation of players that makes me nervous about what experience really means of having that balance of like, you know, usually it's like just this phasing thing where it's like we're, sh- we're, we're shifting players out and new players are coming in. There's always this constant of like new, current, aging uh and we don't have that so it's it's just weird the 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 perspective that we're going but i but to wrap up my thought on mexico costa rica
1: they have a lot of experience
3: <laughs> they have a lot of experience they have a lot of firepower they've, they've been in these matches before they've also played in huge matches before you look at you know hector herrera uh specifically like guys coming off of great seasons as well that you just go yeah i think they're gonna handle costa rica
2: yeah, yeah, I think uh, El knows as a Peruvian, he wants Paulo Guerrero to play for I don't know how many more years, even though the guy's 37. So he
1: needs to start tomorrow. So, how much I want <laughs> exactly,
2: exactly, <laughs> which kind of speaks to I don't know. I just to back a uh, piggyback with what, what Heath said, where you have these really special players in your program and you kind of want to ride them until they can't do it any, anymore. Not, not to even if it's 60% of what they once were, you still yeah. like your love with the romanticism of that player still representing your country. And we finally got away from that from a U.S. perspective, but but sometimes that that also is an indication that your younger players just aren't good enough. They're not ready yet to take over, and that that sixty percent of Paulo Guerrero is is still better than what we have. And as much as one hundred percent, that's kind of where it is. So anyway, hey, that's that's what I wanted to define. Hey,
3: Luis, Luis, Jefferson Farfan leaves PSV. They don't win as many titles anymore. He leaves Schalke. They go down. You know, yeah. this is that's these true, are these man. are they got to play forever.
1: They exactly, means that. Listen, exactly. per, a ninety-year-old Peruvian will help any club. Like, it's fine. We'll, we'll make it happen. All right. Well, to wrap everything up, everybody, uh, give me your score prediction for Mexico, Costa Rica. Jimmy Conrad.
2: I will say, I will say three-one Mexico, and I think that's what's going to happen. And I also want it to happen because I want to see U.S. Mexico in the final. Oh, absolutely. Heath Pierce.
3: Yeah, I'm actually going to go three-one as well. Um, I don't think I think Mexico probably gets lackadaisical at some point in the game, gives up a goal, um, gives a little bit of hope back to Costa Rica. Uh, but but I, I see this being a pretty pretty um, I like that
2: convincing. That's, ex- that's experience talking, Heath. I like yeah. that
3: convincing. I'm not saying I've ever uh, taken my my foot off the old gas pedal uh, when I was up in a match, but uh, I know people that have. Um, and so yeah, I'm saying 3-1 to Mexico for Costa Rica.
1: All right, I'm going to go a little closer. I'm going to go with 2-1. I feel like it might be a little bit tighter. I don't know. I feel like it might take uh, Mexico a little KG bit affair. of time a KG affair. to yeah. wake up. Well, it was 1-0, this exact game. It was a friendly, that's true, but it was uh, not that far away. And I, I'm still trying to wait and see what uh, Mexico is going to line up with because Tecate de Coroan didn't even play in that. Uh, yeah, he like a,
2: yeah, he's got an injury.
1: Yeah, so, so hopefully he'll be ready for that one. But there you have it, our CONCACAF Nations League preview. I'm excited. Excited. A lot of games. This game never stops. Denver Paramount Plus CBS Sports. You can follow it all. Make sure that you follow also Jimmy Conrad, Heath Pierce, on Twitter and Instagram. Final thoughts. Heath Pierce, let's begin with you.
3: Yeah, so my final thoughts are that uh any players playing at elevation are going to have the advantage. I worked out this morning here in Denver. Uh I was huffing and puffing for air uh every yeah, time I'm i come here i don't believe i don't believe i don't believe from in the Andes, elevation i'm not worried <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't believe in the elevation until i get in it and realize that like i was on the old stair climber and was like this is not good um for anybody who's not used <laughs> to it. so there is certainly a factor uh that could be played in these games because it, it, it's it's a
2: legitimate thing in mile high
1: no 100 uh jimmy conrad last word
2: first i believe that we can win that's for the american outlaws that are listening and second I want to say that I'm still a little sad that you guys are there and I'm not there. I, I thanks for having
1: me. We miss you, man. I have an extra bed by the way, which is kind of bad for my wife because I didn't invite her, but I'm mean, inviting you. <laughs> <this is right? laughs> Appreciate you LME. <laughs> All right, boys. Uh, Jimmy Conrad. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you. Heath Pierce. I will see you in about five seconds.
3: <laughs> yeah. See you in five minutes.
1: Hey, everybody. I want to thank Jimmy Conrad and Heath Pierce for joining me today. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Lasso Pod. We are also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We're also on YouTube. We're also on Stitcher as well. I couldn't even say it. I was so excited. We are on cbsports.com. We're on cbsports.app as well. Make sure that you follow the Nations League on Paramount Plus and CBS Sports. We have this and plenty more to come, including interviews with Reggie Cannon, Hector Moreno. Please keep following us and supporting us. Thank you so much. Have a great day and enjoy the tournament.